Welcome to Prosecco and Pros, episode 41. This week's jello shot is an Aperol Spritzer jello shot. This week's prose is from F. Scott Fitzgerald, Babes in the Woods, and Crazy Sunday. Thank you for joining us for an episode of Prosecco and Prose. I'm Amy. And I'm Wendy. We're a deep dive virtual book club that's kind of like a quiz-free lit class you never knew you needed. So let's pop a cork for this week's episode of Prosecco and Prose. For those who are listening in the car, please don't drink and drive. Save the bubbly for later. We've got a classic Prosecco happy hour drink in jello shot form. I love a good Aperol Spritz, but you know how I feel about jello. I know. You've already told us last episode. I mean, it's abundantly clear, Wendy. Again, I'm surprised you agreed. Wait, you suggested <laughs> doing a jello shot season. Who knows what I was thinking? How much Prosecco had I had? It's going to be such a fun, fun time. Well, it's going to be fun for some. I would say especially you. For all. But yes, especially me. And we'll get to share the recipes with all of our friends. Isn't this exciting? Very. Now, I also love an Aperol Spritz, and I'm excited to see if this Jello shot will stand up to the original, you know, the OG wickety mm. wickety wick, <laughs> like the ones we drink in Italy. Well, give it this. The color match is perfect. I mean, this looks like an Aperol Spritz. Oh, oh, the color is perfect. I mean, it's bright, bright orange, and the smell is not oh, good. That is disgusting. Ooh. What is that? Glue. I'm sorry, The just to let you guys know, the shot does look like an Aperol Spritz. I would suggest not smelling it. At least not today. I mean, yeah. sometimes when things set... They turn rotten. <laughs> oh my God, this is so... Okay. Well, let's move on. Let's not... We don't know, we don't know if this is going to affect the taste, but we got this recipe from Lemons for Lulu. I love her website. By the way, yes. She's got a ton of very yummy looking pudding shots on her site. Pudding shots. I wonder if we could put Prosecco <laughs> in pudding shots. Uh, yuck. I don't think so. Although I wish I had a pudding shot now instead of this, but I mean, that doesn't even sound good. You never know. I mean, some stuff that doesn't sound good ends up being pretty delicious. Mm-hmm. Hello, miss. I eat snails every time they're on the menu. Hey, those are Ugh. delicious, but you do have a good point. Now, for this jello shot, we used Prosecco, of course, right? Right, right, right. Aperol, of course. It's an Aperol spritz. Mm-hmm. Sparkling lemonade and gelatin. It was just four ingredients, wasn't it? I think it was just four. Yes, and then yeah. the garnish at the top. Yes. Now, Tanya on Lemons for Lulu said that this is not as sweet as some other jello shots and that you can use a lemon lime soda instead of the lemonade, citrus-flavored jello, or just add a couple of tablespoons of sugar to make it sweeter. But you and I both, I think mm-hmm. I can speak for us both, yep. we both like Aperol spritzes as they are. Yeah, I wouldn't want it and sweet. And they're not overly sweet. Um, so we didn't make any adjustments to the recipe. I mean, she even asked for that Pellegrino lemonade, right? Yeah. yeah and so we, you know how hard that was for me to find <laughs> I that? I can't even imagine. I'm glad you were hunting Ooh, it down. Oh, thank goodness, Florida. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not a fan of sweet drinks. Oh, I'm not either. You know, unless you're a Huckleberry Mule. But let's try our Aperol shot and, you know, see what we think. If we don't like it, I have the stuff for Huckleberry Meals or Aperol spritzes. Since we did buy the Aperol, I have right. everything we need. We might. I mean, if we don't like this, we can always have the real thing, right? Let's just see. All right. Well, you try it first. Ooh. I'm really scared after this uh, smell. Okay. 
Well, oh, you are not making good faces. It tastes like an Aperol spritz, but the texture is like messing with my brain. It's, it's giving me this gag factor. Um, it does taste like an Aperol spritz. But yeah, you're right. texture, it's like... Chewing an Aperol spritz. Oh, that is so the perfect description. My brain you know, is though, definitely saying no. Yeah. But I'm going to still continue to eat this because it has alcohol in it. <laughs> Isn't it kind of weird how it tastes exactly like an Aperol spritz? So I'm going to say she nailed it on the flavor, just for us. Well, and I wouldn't want it any sweeter. No, I I don't think I would. Although, does it have an aftertaste to it? Yeah, a maybe it's bit. the gelatin, even though it's unflavored. I do wonder though if it being in shot form, maybe it'd be a little more tolerable if it had a little bit of sweetness. Because we're thinking we're eating Jello. Do Ugh. you know what I mean? I'm just. Holding on to hope. Um, it's all we can do. Yeah. Her stuff on her website, it just looks so good. You can't like every book. You can't like every recipe, right? Exactly. Let's move forward. All right. It does taste like an Aperol spritz, though. Oh, it does. It does. Let's talk about her author. So we have F. Scott Fitzgerald again. Love mm. him. I know. He's one of your favorites. 1896 to 1940. Hardly needs an introduction. He was a 20th century modernist writer and is best known for his novel, The Great Gatsby, which, of course, we discussed last season. Mm-hmm. Fitzgerald was also a prolific short story writer. I don't think a lot of people know that. I didn't really realize how many he had written. I mean, we mentioned it last season, but you know, he published 160 short stories is what I read. I think they said 160. Yeah, um, or even over that. Yeah. yeah. And most of them were found in the Saturday Evening Post. We used to get that magazine. I loved it. I think you told us that last season, too. Yeah, probably. Okay. Now, writing and publishing short stories was actually how he made his living. That's, you know, because his novels, they just didn't have a lot of commercial success until after his death. Right. Did you know, though, that The Great Gatsby still sells 500,000 copies a year? I'm not surprised. Really, I'm not. It must be all those classrooms. But, I mean, people are discovering it all the time. Right. There's a... You know, it's a universality. What's that word? What's that? Universality. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's right. like a, there's a theme in there that people can relate right. to. Right. It's universal. Yeah. We can't speak. It's the jello shots. Fitzgerald was also a military man. He was a second lieutenant during World War I, but apparently he wasn't a very good soldier as he preferred writing to tactics and training. Again, not surprised, mm. you know, but in his defense, I mean, he never saw combat. That's true. Okay. So his soldier skills were... Never really put to the test. True. Now, there's loads of info on Fitzgerald, so we thought it'd be fun this episode just to mention a few maybe lesser-known facts about him. They can go to our old episode if they want to learn a little right. bit more. Like, for instance, how he was a terrible speller. My mm. God, how could he not be, Wendy? He uses all those big words. I had to have a dictionary and a thesaurus <laughs> handy for some of the passages. Oh, me too. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? I do think a bit of it was the language of the time. Yes. You know, they didn't yes. have texting or tweeting that you have to keep it short and simple. He could use the $18,000 words if he wanted sure. to. Sure. On that note, though, of spelling, I mean, many have probably heard that Fitzgerald and Hemingway had a rather contentious relationship, right? Mm -hmm. We know they didn't like each other. But it wasn't always that way. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that they kind of started off as friends and even like they I always thought they were totally against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that Fitzgerald edited or he at least helped edit Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises? I didn't know that. 
I mean, which surprises me because I act like I know everything about <laughs> both Fitzgerald and Hemingway. But I did learn that Fitzgerald was concerned about the size of his, shall we say, manhood. Oh my gosh. So apparently <laughs> he and Hemingway went into the bathroom to take a peekaboo and Hemingway told him he was perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> Hemingway actually wrote about this little encounter in his novel, A Movable Feast. I had read... Feast on that baby. <laughs> so I actually had read that. What? I mean, you could have used this as your fun fact. I thought I'd leave that fact for you to use, and somehow I knew you would. Well, I love the dirty facts. I love them. <laughs> the down They are the most interesting and facts. Dirty. They yeah. are so interesting, but thank you. Now, Fitzgerald is also the first cousin once removed of Mary Surratt. She was hanged in 1865 for conspiring to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> she probably wasn't often mentioned at parties, oh, was she? no. Now, I thought this is interesting. He also worked as a screenwriter at MGM. Not the part that he is a screenwriter, but the fact that he was an uncredited script doctor on Gone with the Wind. Script doctor? I know, I'm not really sure what that means, but I... Healing the script, but that's my favorite book and movie. Well, I knew he was a screenwriter, but not that he worked on that movie. I wow, know. how cool is that? Very. So many interesting things. I mean, we could talk a whole hour on just that, but I think it's time we get to our stories. We could probably talk longer than an <laughs> hour, but yeah. And we're going to start by discussing the first line of both stories. This was so fun, wasn't it? Yes. Dr. Conyard Black, in the great courses class we took, talked about how powerful, and in contrast, how weak a first line can be. Wendy, I just love continuing Ed. I know, especially when you get to choose your time And do and it class. with a friend. Yeah. It's yeah. like, we can get in trouble and talk all the time. <laughs> and pass notes. But guys, just in case you're wondering about the great courses, the course we took was Great American Short Stories, A Guide for Readers and Writers. And it was so good. We loved so it. fun. But we're nerds like that. But I think other <laughs> people would enjoy us. some of these great yeah. courses. They are, there's so many of them to pick from. Right. I just highly recommend it if you're looking to maybe write a short story or just want to read them at a deeper level. And I mean, the professor was so good too. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, I could listen to her voice all the time. Do you know that someone complained about her on there? <gasps> no. And some of the reviews, I was like, did you not listen to this professor? <laughs> Maybe they don't like short stories. Maybe that wasn't their yeah. cup of tea. Yeah. Now, I agree. I had already enjoyed short stories. I'm not to the level that you do. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm coming a close second now, oh. but that's true. But Because this course just it really made me enjoy them more. Okay. It just gave you different Good. ways to look at it and help me understand the appeal of them. So first lines. Gosh, can we digress or what? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> First lines and how they draw the reader into the story. Yes. First, you need to consider how the story starts. Yes. Is it one, in medias res, you know, in the middle of things? Does it make you curious about what happened before and what's about to happen next? Or two, does the author use comedy or wit? You know, something catchy or funny to just draw you in. I love those. Mm -hmm. Or three... Does the author submerge the reader, just submerge his or her reader into the story with tantalizing details that leave the reader wanting to learn more? 
And along with all that, thank you, trauma Mm. coach, (laughs) the opening line should contain certain vital information. We talked about this in the prologue, right? Right. What Dr. Konyar Black called the four Ps, people, place, perspective, problem. Now, the first sentence doesn't need to have all of these, but more will make for a stronger start. A short story is obviously short. That's probably about the most intelligent thing I'll say this entire (laughs) podcast. (laughs) No. (laughs) So an author just really needs to grab the reader right away, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, hey, come in here and read me. Come on, girl, read my story. I know, because if they don't, they'll move on. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have several chapters to build things up, especially if you only have an hour or less. Right. So I'm going to call her Dr. CB. It's such a mouthful. (laughs) I mean, I get tongue-tied, especially when I'm eating Prosecco. (laughs) Eating Prosecco. Oh, that's another problem. But she gave an exercise to practice writing strong first lines, and we gave it a try with some help of our Instagram friends. You can listen to our attempts in the season's prologue from two weeks ago. It was fun. Yeah. But not easy. Well, you said actually it wasn't that hard for no. you, but it was kind of difficult for me. And uh, yeah, feel free to let us know if you think our opening lines would get you to read the story. Now, we read the first lines of these short stories this season and thought about how the story drew us in, if it had any or all of the four Ps, before we went on to finish the story. So we just read the first line and stopped. That so, was so fun. Was that was. hard for you? Because I really liked it, but it wasn't hard. Just uh, not to read forward. Oh, it was hard not to read forward. Yeah. Yeah. To just get that first line. But and just not to be kinda, like, it's like a puzzle. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we genuinely had no idea where the story was going. And you'll see that from some of these <laughs> when we get to the summary. Oh my goodness. Hilarious. But yeah. you know, it was fun to see how the author invited us in. Right. And it doesn't have to match. Mm-mm. The point is, it's got to get you to read, right? Right. right. Now, we're going to start with Fitzgerald's first published story, Babes in the Woods. And the first line is... (laughs) That's my drum roll. That was weak. (laughs) That's all right. It's because you have to have a jello shot, not the real thing. First line. She paused at the top of the staircase. Now, what do you think, Amy? I'm thinking a lot. (laughs) I can see you. The wheels are turning. (laughs) But I feel like it starts in medias res. What was she doing before she paused on the stairs? But also, I feel like there's some tantalizing details. Not that she's at the top of some stairs, but the fact that she paused. Why did she do that? What about you? I feel like it's in medias res as well. What was going on just before and what's about to happen? We got dropped in the middle of some action, or at least a pause, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. in the action. Yeah, yeah. Now for the four Ps. People, place, perspective, and problem. So we'll start with the people. She. Um, We have a girl or a woman. Mm -hmm. For place, the top of the staircase. Right. But, I mean, where is this staircase? It could be anywhere. It could be a house, a hotel, a school. We don't know where it's at. Even outside. Uh, Right? Yeah. Right? Um, Perspective, for me, uh, she seemed kind of apprehensive about something. And I think that's what really drew me in. Yeah. she She was hesitant about something. Like maybe nervous or even it could have been a feeling of dread. Oh, It could go both ways, right? Right. And I want to know which emotion it is. And then problem. Is it something she's leaving or something she's about to face? And my first thought again was, why did she pause? I mean, there's a problem. True. I just need to know. 
You know, this is random. Did you notice that in the first line, it's only eight words and six of them are in two different prepositional phrases? I didn't. (laughs) Actually, no, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, prepositional phrases to me are just fluff, but it just is what it is. I mean, really, it's just those two words, the subject, she, and the verb, pause, that drew me in. She paused. How can that not just draw you in? You know, I wondered if it was going to be like a horror story. Probably not. I mean, Fitzy isn't known for horror stories. Not really. Especially the kind you like. But it is his first story, so you don't know how he started, Exactly, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. He has written a couple ghost stories. Oh, I'll have I to check those it. out. But maybe it's about a woman thinking she's going to find her significant other with someone else. I just, I just had to read on. That's interesting. I wondered if she was leaving something that she wasn't quite ready to yet, or on the flip side, about to join something she's nervous about, or even face some unpleasant situation that she's pausing to gain the courage to do so. I definitely wanted to know what it might be. I think it's safe to say that we both felt it was a really great opening line. I think so. Good stuff. So now we're going to give you guys the summary, and you can see how we did. (laughs) So Babes in the Woods was first published in May 1917, and a revision of the story was Fitzgerald's first paid published piece for $30 in 1919. Wow. It was also incorporated into his first novel, The Side of Paradise. So here's our brief summary of Babes in the Woods. 16-year-old Isabel goes to a party where she has been set up to meet a young man, Stephen, who has stayed an extra day from college just to see Isabel. Now, Miss Isabel has a bit of a reputation. I mean, she's been kissed. Oh, how scandalous. I mean, it was, right? Remember when she's told that Stephen has heard of her? It's her cousin, right? I think is there. And she wants to know, what's he heard, right? Yeah, Elaine told her that. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the party, Isabel dances with all the boys, Mm. creating a bit of drama. You know, she's squeezing their hand as each one vies for her attention. She's quite the flirt. Finally, she and Steven end up alone in a den Mm. where Steven's attempt to get a kiss is thwarted by their friends bursting in on them. (laughs) Yeah, I was a bit off (laughs) on my first line. (laughs) Yeah. I was just thinking... You know, that first pause in the opening line may have been a bit of foreshadowing of when their kiss gets interrupted. Ooh, that's interesting. Maybe. Miss hmm. Isabel played coy and then paused a bit too long in the den. So, you know, I don't feel particularly sorry for her. You know, that she felt deprived. <laughs> Missed your chance, girl. Trying to be cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was trying not to be too easy, you know, repair her reputation. Mm. And that leads right into a bit of the history of this period when this piece was published. It was just before the Jazz Age when sex was still taboo and traditional values were pretty firmly in place. So it does feel like Isabel and Stephen, you know, getting interrupted before they kiss was a way to protect Isabel's reputation. Even though she'd already been kissed. A lot. (laughs) Sounded like it kind of, hadn't it? I think Stephen thought she'd be an easy conquest, kind of. Perhaps, perhaps. Remember when her cousin Elaine sings a line about 14 angels, you know, watching over them at the end when they're going to sleep? Yes. I think that's an allusion to Engelbert Humperdinck's song, Evening Prayer. You know, the story from Hansel and Gretel. Do you know that song? No. When at night I go to sleep... 
14 angels watch to keep. That's going to that make me take a bite. horrible. Oh my gosh, these boys are the 14 angels watching over Isabel's reputation. I thought I mean, it-, it interrupted the kiss. The angels are watching over her. Come on. I see what you're saying, but I thought Engelbert Humperdinck was a British pop singer and he would have been after Fitzgerald, wouldn't he? Yes, that Engelbert Humperdinck. I mean, he would have been, but I'm talking about the German composer from the 1800s, Wendy. I never knew that, actually. Yeah, check it out. I bet your <laughs> Rafino knows this. I mean, probably. He's very much into music, just like I am with our violins. That's true. Mm. <laughs> but this short showed Fitzgerald playing with the coming of age and morals of later years and being tempted with the new and exciting things to come. It was definitely the writing of the moment. Like he was writing of that moment, right? right? He was. Story two. Our second story is Crazy Sunday. Sounds like a football story. Does kind of like. (laughs) Crazy Sunday. This story was published late 1932. So about 15 years. Wouldn't that be right? 15 years later? Yes. 17 plus 17 would be 34. So two years less than that. Ooh, thank you, math wizard. So <laughs> I can do Crazy Sunday was published 15 years, get that right, after Babes in the Woods. And a lot can happen in those 15 years. Yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first line. It was Sunday, not a day, but rather a gap between two other days. So, Wendy, how do you feel Fitzgerald invites us in or invites you in? Or does he? He does. This was in medias res again. Okay. And also kind of on a pause, like the first story, you know? A week's just finished and one is about to begin. I like this idea of Sunday being a gap because it kind of is. Monday always feels like the start of the week, not Sunday to me. What did you think? I agree. I I do believe that it's in medias res, Um, you know, the middle of things, right? Yep. I get the feeling that we are in the middle of a problem or some situation here. And I also like the idea of Sunday as a gap day. I mean, I'm in. Let's read on. So as far as our four Ps, people, place, perspective, problem, Mm -hmm. there's no people in this one unless... I mean, I suppose you could count the narrator, but at this point, it doesn't feel like anybody, right? Agree, agree. And there's no place here either. Mm. I mean, I don't think you can really count a day as a place. That's like the second dumbest thing I said today. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I don't, not that you said a dumb thing, but I don't think a day is a place. I didn't feel like there was a place. I just want all the P's to be there because I'm I'm going off Dr. Conyard Black, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Maybe we should have rated our own and seen if we had the four Ps. We didn't mm. even ask ourselves. Well, we we have listeners to do that for us. That's true. Perspective. Um, I got this feeling of being in limbo from the narrator. Ooh. Um, a feeling of not really being anywhere, but kind of suspended in a moment. You know, he's between these, he's between one week and the next, and he's just waiting. You know, I really didn't get a feeling of perspective. Yeah, I can so see. So that, that makes sense. You know, I do get what you're saying and and it's kind of a feeling of a lull to me. That may, yeah. that's the only thing I could feel. Yeah. I just didn't I didn't know how to project that. It's hard. Yeah. Perspective's yeah. tough. Now for a problem, for me, why is Sunday not considered a day? Yeah, I thought of that as well. <laughs> what is it about Sunday? 
I mean, we aren't really given a lot here. And my initial thoughts are, I wonder if this person is between life events, feeling adrift, maybe unsettled about something, or, you know, just frustrated with their current spot in life. Hmm. I was curious. But I have to say, I was more drawn in by the first story's opening line, you know, the pause at the top of the stairs. I I think I just, I think I just felt more akin to that character, closer Hmm. in a way. Okay. What did you think of this opening line? Well, for me... Between the title Crazy Sunday and Sunday not being considered a day and F. Scott um, liking a nip from the bottle a lot, um, you know, he promoted his fiction as autobiographical. That's right. He did. So I'm assuming after a late night, you know, partying on a Saturday night, he loses his entire Sunday a horrible hangover. I mean, <laughs> how can he not? So I definitely wanted to read on. <laughs> okay. So in light of all that information, which story had the stronger opening line for you then? Well, I have to agree with you on the first one. When you deconstruct the sentence down to she and paused, you know, the subject and the verb, you have to know why. Just the, just the very short sentence. It just draws you in. I want to know why. It doesn't matter where it is, but I'm drawn in by the why. I'm so dramatic since you, we've moved to Florida. You are. <laughs> Must be something in the weather. Mm. Um, yeah, same as me. I, I, I preferred that. That one was more of a draw to me. It would, like I said before, just the connection right off the bat in the first story. And that's what reading's all about, right. reading the literature and yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. connecting. So, all right, to our summary um, of this short story, as we said, Crazy Sunday was published in 1932, right during the Great Depression, which happened to, ironically, bring about the golden age of Hollywood and the grandiose parties of that time. I hadn't even thought about how those two things existed at the same time. Like, I I hadn't even realized that. Yeah, I mean, a real division between the haves and the have-nots. Yes. And Fitzgerald, with his modest upbringing, was always trying to get to and fit in with the halves. He was. Yeah. Okay. Summary. Joel. I love Joel. Joel, (laughs) No, you did. He's a young writer in Hollywood. He gets invited by his director boss, Miles, to a party he's hosting. While there, Miles' wife, Stella. Oh my gosh. Is everyone not named Stella in this time period? Stella. Stella. Right. I mean, it's like everybody's name is Zoe now or Chloe or... Or Tiffany? No. Sorry if we have any Tiffany's out there listening. Yeah. But Stella flirts with Joel as she hands him drink. I mean, and Sunday was the day that Joel didn't drink. It was like his detox day. I know. He told us that he didn't drink that day. But Joel gets a bit tipsy, decides to perform his party trick. It was a mocking imitation of another director. Not cool. (laughs) It didn't go over very well, did it? (laughs) Not so much. (laughs) But the next day at work, Joel mopes around certain he's been ruined, and then receives this telegram. Those are like texts. I know. I wish you could, I wish I could send a, do you think you could still send telegrams? I don't know. You should Google it. I'm going to Google it. But anyways, he receives this telegram from Stella inviting him to another party. So when Miles and Stella arrive at this party, they are arguing because Stella has learned of an affair, an affair that Miles has been carrying on with Stella's best friend. What a D-bag. Oh my Scandalous. gosh. Scandalous. Fitzgerald liked his scandals. Hey, do you know what? 
it is possible to still send a personal hand-delivered telegram. How? I feel like I want to send you a telegram. I think you order it almost like um, Badal Co. still offers telegram service. This is what I learned. We can look that up later. Ugh. Miles and Stella separately confide in Joel, and the three of them end up back at Miles and Stella's place, and they're still arguing. Of course. Gosh, it just is so Gatsby. Mm. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just like at that moment that Joel realizes he's in love with Stella. (laughs) I was a little like, what? (laughs) So the following week, he phones Miles, but ends up talking to Stella, and she invites him to dinner in the theater with her group, as Miles will be out of town at a football game. Joel accepts. But he's not real comfortable about it. No, he wasn't. He was not comfortable. So he tells Miles, who then... Some of these moments were quite comedic, yeah, I thought. Yeah, they were. Who then decides to just skip the game altogether because he's convinced Stella's going to do something with Joel to get back at him and Miles for cheating on Stella. And yet <laughs> right? he also invites Joel to join them. Right. Like a threesome. He's like, right. He's like, yeah. oh, come on anyways. <laughs> this just reads, it just is so Gatsby. I mean, I mean I've, I've said it once, I've said it twice. But it's his style. I can't stop. So um, Joel meets this group up at the theater and Stella is alone mm-hmm. and getting telegram updates from Miles. He's texting her. He's texting her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's texting her. And uh, she gets a little bit paranoid right. and thinks Miles actually may be around, that he didn't really go. Just watching her, waiting to catch her in something. Oh, such a stalker. <laughs> um, so she and Joel, Stella and Joel, head back to her place. They flirt, of course. Mm-hmm. Joel worries he's a pawn in their game. And then a final telegram arrives, dropped from the airplane. <laughs> was this not absurd? I mean, who was out Me, there? To George get- Jetson and his boy Elroy. Who was out in the field to get the telegram? <laughs> oh, I got, must get this telegram. Then we find out that Miles's plane has gone down. His body has been identified. And Stella begs Joel to just to stay. That's when he has his little epiphany, mm-hmm. he realizes staying back is just a way for Stella to keep Miles alive. So he leaves. You know, unhappily, he acknowledges to himself that he'll be back. It's like Schwarzenegger. <laughs> right. I'll be back. Um, I'm going to have to say, we aren't off to the best start with our first line predictions. <laughs> no, no, we're not. But it's really not about that. Right? Right. And that's what Dr. Conyard Black said. Yeah. Just getting the reader to read on. And they were both successful in that. Yeah. They were definitely successful at that. Okay. Let's talk point of view. Yes. And I do have to agree with you. Even though I didn't have a clue what was happening, I was really interested to find out what was happening. Now, the point of view used in most American short stories is third person. With limited third person, you know, just one character's viewpoint, the one that's used the most often. Right. Both of these stories were primarily limited third person, but Fitzgerald did weave in a bit of third person omniscient, which is considered the most challenging because the reader gets all the characters' thoughts and feelings, and that can feel a bit chaotic in a short story. Yeah, especially in a short story because you're just bobbing from one person to the next and you just feel like, oh my gosh, you know, this needs to be a novel. Right. So in Babes in the Woods, it's Isabel's story, but there are a couple very brief moments where we get inside Duncan's head, you know, the initial boy she connects with, yep. and then in Stevens. These moments are just so brief, you could easily miss them, and I did initially, uh, yep. but it was Isabel's story, and we are inside her head. We are. 
Now for Crazy Sunday, it's the same thing. We're in Joel's head, but we get another very brief blink and you'll miss it moment when Miles and Stella come into the party, right? Right. And the reader is told they've been arguing all afternoon. Mm-hmm. Now Joel wasn't with them and it, he's telling us the story. So he couldn't have known and thus told the reader. Now he does find out later they've been arguing all the time, but in that moment, Joel, our storyteller, And so then the reader wouldn't be privy to that info. So an omniscient narrator just pops in and says, hey, these guys were arguing. I bet old Fitzy was drinking when he wrote that. (laughs) He was pretty much always drinking, Amy. (laughs) Maybe we should be writers. That's what we're doing. I know. (laughs) I had read that somewhere about that very line and had to go back and reread it as my not-so-keen eye didn't pick up on it initially. That's so crazy because I feel like you pick out so many things and I'm like, what? Did we read the same story? I have to tell you that point of view for me is very distracting when I'm trying to figure it out because then I totally lose the story and I've got to start Uh, over. So it's it's very much of a distraction trying to figure it out. Well, and that's interesting that you say that because when I read that line, when I came to that Mm -hmm. line, I was actually jarred for a minute out of the story and maybe that was the intent actually. Maybe. It could be. I mean, we kind of did need to know that they had been arguing because it sets us up for the next scene. Right. But it made me wonder, did I miss some other points when when I should know what's going on with Miles and Stella? And- well, that was the only one. That was the only one. You know I had to go back and I reread <laughs> it multiple times. Yeah. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. So I wasn't, cra- I didn't feel like I was crazy. No, no. Um, now, actually, he, you know, he did that coming in and out in both pieces. So I feel like this is kind of a nice segue into a little discussion about the author's style. What do you think? Sure. Absolutely. Let's go for it. Fitzgerald is known for his distinct prose style, which is intensely poetic. Can I say that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's, it's very definitely. poetic. I mean, there's like such a rhythm and a music to his writing. I just kind of want to dance. Let me get up here and dance, baby. <laughs> but it's also really emotional. Oh, you know? for sure. He uses lots of figurative language. I mean, tons of illusion, imagery. He uses symbolism, similes, metaphors. He also uses a lot of sophisticated vocabulary. You know, those big words. And he does that to set the tone and the mood. Yes. Honestly, I feel like some of his writing is pinkies up. <laughs> it's pinkies up. And it's it's really hard to understand on the first read through. But, you know, that's kind of what he's going for, I think. Maybe. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. I mean, it's like keeping up with the Joneses. Definitely that type of writing style okay. is keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, Fitzgerald wants you to know how much he knows about these high class people. He wants to be one of them. Yeah. I mean, was that that just too much? No, 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 no. It wasn't too much. I was following you, but I'm, because I feel like you kind of answered the question, is there a point? Well, there is a very big point. There's a very big point. And thank you for leading me here. I mean, you do these things, you set me up because I wasn't even planning on going into Fitzgerald's Use of Illusion, except for that brief mention of Engelbert Humperdinck's song. You know, the one about the 14 angels. You're welcome, I think. I know. I feel like I just opened a can I shouldn't have. I feel a little confused right now. Where is this going? You know, it's a pretty big part of his style. I have to say, he so often uses allusions to really show his reader that he's knowledgeable. In a lot of his other stories that we're not even going to mention here, he 
reads, um, it shows that he reads lots of classics. He mentions all these titles, these mm -hmm. characters, these Greek gods from the past and stuff. I mean, he's so emotional and he just wants you to believe he really, truly knows his stuff. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. <laughs> but you know your stuff. <laughs> but not just surface knowledge. But like well-read knowledge type of stuff. Okay. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I see. Do I look less confused? I just hope our listeners aren't confused. I they, mean, I kind of dug deep in that illusion. They probably all got it. But I do get emotional reading it. I mean, right at the beginning of the story, Babes in the Woods, he leads with the illusion of Thais and Carmen. You know, a story about a famous Greek mistress accompanying Alex the Great during the wars he fought. And then, like I said earlier, he later ties in the music of Humperdinck. I did catch at the end when he brought in, excuse me, I'll use the terminology, alludes to Joan of Arc. I did exactly, catch that. Exactly, exactly. Isn't it emotionally delicious, Wendy? <laughs> it's emotional. <laughs> you know your stuff. Because all of that, when I was reading it, pretty much went over my head. I get it now, but. Well, you would have gotten it. If you reread it a few I did times. read it a few well, like times. Like more than just a few times. Well, I still missed it. And mm. I just I think that stuff is really interesting. Well, I bet now when you read his stuff, it'll just really jump out at you. Because I had a great teacher. Mm. I bet students loved having you. Mm. We had good time. We had a good time in the classroom. Um, I don't remember anyone getting as excited about this stuff as I do. Well, I'm kind of a nerd. But, you know, I'm sure there were a few. Now back to the emotion you were talking about. <laughs> yes. As I so eloquently went down the illusion rabbit hole. Right. Um, yes, I definitely, like you, felt the emotion in both of these shorts. Isabel, in her first short. Right. She's nervous, but she's eating up all the boys' attention. Just loving it. Oh, right? I so would have been Isabel. You would have. <laughs> Me too, though, actually. And then Joel, in our second short, he's frustrated with his position with these Hollywood elites. He's trying to make himself stand out. He's failing. He's right? so failing. Right. <laughs> Both at his party bit. And then when he tells Stella he loves her, oh my goodness, poor guy. I mean, these people are playing with him and he's only just starting to realize it. Now you can also see his autobiographical style. I think I've mentioned that before, but you can see it in both pieces. Mm -hmm. Babes in the Woods is based on Fitzgerald's first meeting with Ginevra King and their missed kiss. Crazy Sunday fictionalizes an account that he had at a Hollywood party when he was working as a scriptwriter, same as Joel, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he was doing exactly what Dr. C.B. said, write what you know, but then do your best to disappear out of the story. Exactly. Oh, I, that has so stuck with me. I know. And to go back to the imagery, you mentioned imagery mm -hmm. as well as part of the style. It isn't that he describes every detail. He doesn't do that. Lots of showing. Yes. Instead of telling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can really picture his settings, you know, what's happening, these interactions between the characters. Fitzgerald also has some pretty familiar plot lines. That yes. In yes. many of his works, we see them over and over. The humble, come-from-nothing boy trying to prove himself worthy to a wealthy daughter. Yeah. We saw that in both of these. Um, mm -hmm. College boy Stephen tries to woo the high-class Isabel, right? Yeah. I mean, there's this line in the story that sums up this very Fitzgerald plot line. It says, um, let's see here. He knew he stood for the best thing in sight and that he would have to improve his opportunity before he lost his advantage. Yeah. Does that not ring true? Yeah. Mm. And then when you look at the second story, 
Joel's just a working man, right? Right. He got invited to this upper crust bash, tries to impress the rich wife. Right. Right. Following her around like a Could puppy. Could you not just I know, see it? But because he wants to see if she spends as much time with the other guests <laughs> as she did with him. I was like, dude, don't not obvious at all, right? Poor Fitzy. <laughs> Poor Fitzy. I mean, he was always wanting to fit in with a rich crowd. We see that in all the stories. And the thing is, he did become somebody. He did. But he always had his upbringing, that first rejection with Miss King. Then the rejection of Zelda, even though he ended up back with her. Well, yeah. as soon as he got that first big paycheck, she was like, oh. Right. And her dad's oh, you- like, okay, you can marry him. Yes. So he's seen the power of money, status, you know, and he wants it. What he really wants, though, don't you think, is the old money status. Oh, right. He did. He did. Now we can't leave without talking about a symbol that very frequently shows up in Fitzgerald's work. And I mean, it's... Every classroom all the time, and I know teachers get tired of talking about it, but it's in every piece. The eyes. Yes. Yes. I knew where you were going. And really, they were featured pretty heavily in both of these shorts. They were. They were. So eyes, guys, are a powerful symbol. Knowledge, all seen, even judgment. Yeah. And you could say judgment, too. Eyes have this duality. They are truth and deceit, light and and mystery. Mm -hmm. And Fitzgerald likes to use all of that in his writing. Just think about Gatsby. Like I said before, the eyes are one of the most taught symbols in that story in the classroom. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they are. You can't just ignore them. You can't not see them anymore. No pun intended. (laughs) No. And both pieces not only talked about eyes directly, but also there's gaze, look, watch, seeing, saw. Like Mm. all Mm -hmm. of these words related to the eyes. Yes, yes. You almost get this sense in the stories of a watching and also being watched. And there's even a mention of a camera. Oh, that's right. It's like another eye, right? Yeah. What about tears, Mm -hmm. um, which come from the eyes? So the use of that symbol really feels like a part of Fitzgerald's style. Yeah, it does. Now, something else about his style is he often has didactic endings. I mean, he wants to truly teach the reader something. You know, I'm not going to say either of these pieces had a major life lesson for me. Yeah. But I still think there was an element of the didactic there. What do you think? Yeah, I think I have to agree. And it doesn't have to be some major life lesson. Little lessons will teach you something too, you know? Right. Like, Like don't act like a fool. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like for Babes in the Woods, we see Isabel's frustration and not getting her kiss. I mean, her lesson could be as simple as, you know, stop worrying about tradition. Seize the moment if you truly want it. Or you might have regrets. Mm -hmm. Now, in Crazy Sundays, Joel comes to the realization of the games Hollywood plays and just what his role in regards to Stella really is. I mean, he was simply a way to keep her husband alive. Joel loves Stella, but she only loves what he can be for her, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. I mean, which could even go back to the differences in their social class. Yes. And also, like the first one you mentioned, don't drink too much. Right. (laughs) Right. If you have a detox day, maybe stick to it. Right. Um, Do you drink on Sundays? Is that a day of the week? I guess now it's a gap day, so am I allowed to? Uh, I'm going to have some red wine on that day. Yeah. Anyway. All right. On that note... Let's talk about endings. That's a good way. Love that. So we looked at whether the endings felt authentic to the story and satisfying to the reader, which is what a reader hopes for in a short story. 
for Babes in the Woods, the ending did not satisfy Isabel. Yeah, but she's not I know reader. we're talking about us, but it, I had to say it did not satisfy <laughs> Isabel. I no. mean, she seemed to need a cold shower, as was alluded with her cold sheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing. But what about to the reader? How did you feel about the ending? Uh, I was satisfied with it. Babes in the Woods. I was definitely satisfied with mm-hmm. it. I felt it was it was really authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if we mentioned it or not. I think we did. But a version of the short ended up being in the beginning of Fitzgerald's first novel, The Side yeah. of Paradise. I think it was section one, chapter two, or somewhere in there. That was um, how to read it. I can look it up too. Um, and Isabel does get her first kiss with him. Finally. Well, good for her. Mm. But I also found the ending authentic and I was happy with it. Yeah. The other thing we looked at um, was this idea that um, American short stories feel as if they arise out of some fierce schism or divide that they mean to reconcile. Mm. This was from um, an American novelist and short story writer, Richard Ford. He said that. And I think we see this divide of the upper and middle class here. And I don't feel I can say it's reconciled. Do you think it's reconciled? I wouldn't say. But the reader does see that Isabel has regrets about not getting her kiss. So maybe that's a step toward that in the future. I don't know. I could be grasping at straws. But that's what came to mind for me. I like that. I mean, and lit's about your interpretation. And I don't see why it can't be looked at that way. I mean, everybody, some people might not have thought it was satisfying. And as I said, she does get her kiss in the new version. What about our second story, Crazy Sunday? I thought the ending was authentic. And at first, I wasn't sure if I was satisfied or not, um, because I think of the bitter, angry tone it ended on. But it was fitting. So, yeah, I'm good with it. You? I just love a Fitzgerald story. So I was happy with that ending. I did feel like there might have been a bit more closure in the divide in this story, which was the Hollywood elite and the lowly screenwriter, Joel. Um, just in that, that, you know, he was now onto their games, right? Yeah. Like he, he um, like you said, he had an epiphany. Right. I think he might start playing with a little more strategy in the future. Just my take. I like that. I think so. Yeah. Old Joel's getting wise. I have to say this again, this story, and I won't say it anymore, but this story (laughs) gave me some Gatsby vibes. Yeah. You? It did, yes. So for those of you that do love Gatsby, I think you would really love this work. Um, You know, but not that Joel was trying to win over Stella per se, at least at first, but like Gatsby and Daisy, he and Stella knew each other from the the past, right? I mean, he met her when she was a struggling actress. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't missed that initially until you mentioned it to me. And then the death of these two rich guys in both Gatsby and in Crazy Sunday and the impact it had on the women they love and that love them, right? I know we're going to talk about themes, but, you know, I wondered about death as a theme in Fitzgerald's writing. Might be something to explore sometime. Yeah, it might be. I mean, definitely a little interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I did find some similarities between these short story endings, how they both kind of ended with these feelings of dissatisfaction. Hence the historical time. These writers were disillusioned, you know, disheartened. Mm -hmm. Um, And that certainly speaks to Fitzgerald's feelings. I mean, he was, from what I've read and researched, a truly dissatisfied man. 
Yeah, it seems like he was. Yeah. So you've touched on a possible one, but let's look at some of um, Fitzgerald's common themes. Okay. So Fitzgerald definitely has some themes that he revisits quite often in his work. Ambition and loss. Mm-hmm. Discipline versus self-indulgence. Love and romance. Obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> and money and class. Again, obviously. obviously yeah. Right. And we definitely saw at least a couple of those, love and romance and money and class in both short stories. Yes, we did. You know how you can pick out our delicious Costco Prosecco from other Proseccos when we're taste testing? Yeah, are you trying to say that I drink a lot of Prosecco? Yeah. But (laughs) I bet I can pick out a Fitzgerald piece from other writings. I bet you could pick out him and Hemingway from other writings. Oh, I might have to try it sometime. Maybe at the end of this season, you can pick out a few stories from our featured authors, and I'll see if I can pin the author to the piece. That would actually be really fun. Yeah, we should try that. I might like to try it myself, but I think hands down you'd win. Eh, maybe not. I'm, yeah, but you're always saying, oh, this author reminds me of this author, and then giving examples. I think we should do that. I think we really. should so do I that. See, I want to see just how good you are. I'll write it in one of my 50 notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll write it. Okay. Although we can just listen to this podcast because we have a record right here. Right here, right now. Exactly. Um, back to themes. So yes, they are definitely similar. I don't really think we need to say much more about that. What do you think? No, no. You know, we've talked about the Isabel Stephen brief romance. I mean, he's hoping for his shot at her and he realizes his social standing will likely need to improve. You know, if he's hoping... For more than a kiss. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Stephen a bit of a flirt as well? Yeah, because I talked to him to be like light on love or something like right. that. Right. I mean, there was a mention of him having been with a few girls, or maybe I read that in The Sight of Paradise. I don't remember. They all kind of blend together now for me. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a bit of a quality in the kissing area for he and Isabel. Yeah, there was actually. Kind of, Fitzy kind of made them, now you got me calling him that. I know. Made them equals. But... You know, Isabel had lived in a bigger city, so her range, I'm guessing in boys maybe, I was assuming that's what was meant, was better than his. I can see that. I think that also alluded back to her social class being above his. Yeah. So in the second story, we've got our working boy, Joel. He's just trying to capitalize on his high class invite. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all that, falling in love with this, this like out-of-league woman. They're always out of their league. Right. I mean, themes Fitzgerald worked and reworked to maybe try and come to his own understanding. Yeah. I mean, that's how we can flesh things out. That's right. Through our writing, right? So we'd like to close out with a couple points Dr. Conyard Black said are quintessential to American short stories. Oh, just loved her. Yes. First, they're about trouble in the mind. A bit of the blues, she called it. Yes. And that these conflicts, these troubles, represent the nation's conflicts. So in Babes in the Woods, this poor boy is just trying to get his first kiss. I mean, can a guy get a break, right? And this young girl is trying to keep hold (laughs) of a reputation that might already be in jeopardy. And we are led right into these emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the the trouble in our minds, right? Yeah. And And in their minds. Yeah. (laughs) I was just... I mean, it's just really anxious uh, reading it as if I was at one of the characters. I know. Yeah. Also, there was this sense of being faced with your own mortality in the country during this period of That's time. Right. The First World War was going on when this piece was written, and young people were really looking to find their mate. 
You know, the mm-hmm. end of the world's coming. Let's get married, yeah. have babies, have sex, kiss a lot, <laughs> whatever. And you see that in Stephen's impassioned plea to Isabel, right? Yes. Just to have something to remember her by. Yeah, there was, you got this sense of desperation, right? right? And that leads to the second quality of American short stories. They have an emotional stake for the reader, for us to grab onto and mm-hmm. care, right? And it's right there. We want these two to get their kiss. But we also... We would like Isabel to preserve her virtue. We can also sense her frustration at her missed opportunity and maybe even just having to conform to the time. Oh, Fitzgerald. He can so do emotion. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you know those parties were called petting parties? What? No, you're making that up. I you're am totally, not. You're making I that up. I am not making that up. That's a bit you. Google it. Google it. <laughs> I did the telegram. <laughs> That's just uh, certainly paints a different visual than the actual story. That for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, for Chris. Yeah, I have a totally She's different speechless. picture. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Crazy Sunday. Okay. Um, that one just felt like it was full of conflict and emotion for poor Joel, didn't it? Oh, I know, I know. I had all the feels for Joel when I read it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just cringed for him when he buffooned his party trick in an effort to impress everyone. Buffooned? I know it's not a word, but gosh, it so fits. It's not, it really does fit. It should be a word. Yeah. I mean, he's conflicted about drinking, thinks he's handling it, but clearly (laughs) didn't. Right. (laughs) Poor guy made a fool of himself in front of all the fancy people. Mm Mm-hmm. Did that not make you think of like a military function? Oh my goodness. I mean, I've witnessed people, I mean, I've been there myself, which I'm sure will not shock you, but- I plead the fifth. I've witnessed people doing this. I bet you've never made a fool, you know, at such an event. You do know that I was actually a soldier at one time, right? Trust me. I definitely made a fool of myself more than once, probably will again. I just might, you know, care less at this stage in life. (laughs) Aren't those some facts? Yes. Yeah. When you think of Joel's conflicts in the context of the nation's conflicts of the time, he he just wants to achieve his American dream. Right. I mean, he wants his freedom. He wants true love. What else is there? Right. Fitzgerald, he just like, he just invests you in his work and into his character's because we can relate to them. Exactly. We understand their emotional stake because we have so many of the same emotional stakes. Yeah. Right? It speaks to you. I just love discussing his work, don't you? I love discussing it with you. I will tell you that. fun. I'm so emotional. (laughs) (laughs) Did you um, have a favorite out of these two shorts? Well, you're going to kill me. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Are we going to stop talking? I won't have another diatribe of information that I'm going to go Deep, 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 deep in. But, you know, my ultimate favorite by Fitzy is Bernice Bob's Her Hair. I'm not going to get into any discussion on it. You just, it, it, listeners, you just have got to read that one too. Do I have to read it too? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I already did a review on it on okay. our Instagram. Um, yeah. But of these two, oh, I just like them both the same. Can I not like them both the same? I mean, I mean why I, not? I just, I can't choose one. Babes in the Woods shows up in his novel, The Side of Paradise. And I kind of like that because, I mean, you, you can read the short story that you can go and compare and contrast it okay. within the novel. And then the second 
I mean, it was such a Gatsby feel to me. I know I said I wasn't going to say Gatsby again, but... I I knew you couldn't resist. (laughs) I I, I can't resist. I just can't pick. I heart both stories. What about you? Which one was yours? Well, I was able to make a choice. (laughs) Well, you always can make a choice. (laughs) No, I can't always, but I can here. Um, I really enjoyed the first one more. I, I, I liked the characters better in that one. And I think it's just because I felt a stronger connection or understanding with Isabel. I didn't have much of a connection with Joel. I bet you were a bit of a flirt at that age. (laughs) Me? No. I mean, (laughs) never. Right. Never. Before we give our final thoughts on these jello shots, Mm. let's give our sixer summary. How much fun were those? (laughs) Fun and hard, but yes. Okay, so in the prologue, we said we'd be doing a spin on the six-word story and writing a six-word summary for each short story this season. Said it wouldn't be hard, it'd be super fun, a little something to draw the reader in. Just in case Fitzy didn't draw him in. We'll draw him in. Yeah. Um, So that was Amy's idea, and she was wrong. But go Mm. ahead. You can also watch us delivering these on Instagram. We're going to put them on some reels. That'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait to get back into my acting skills. It's been challenging, but it has been fun. Like I, I, I joke, but it has been fun. Um, you guys can let us know how you think we did when you see them. So, okay, Amy, what did you come up with for Babes in the Woods? Well, I actually have two. Well, that's 12 words then. No, just two separate ones. I can really only write one and you wrote two. Such an overachiever. Okay, let's hear them. Okay, so... Um, once I got the one, this other one just like immediately popped in my head. So I had to write it down just in case the other one wasn't working. When I got my one, I moved on. I, was oh, like, I know. <laughs> okay. So my first one, Easy Izzy, you know, Isabel, Easy Izzy needs a cold shower. <laughs> Do I want to hear your second one? She was deprived of the kiss. Easy Izzy needs a cold shower. Do I want to hear the second one? Yes. <laughs> Great. My second one. First kiss interrupted, cold shower needed. (laughs) (laughs) They're similar. I should have known better. did I do better than Fitzy? Um, Well, no, because Fitzy gave us a whole big... How can I say that? I can't can't dog Fitzy. But I will say, as far as a summary, you summed it up. Okay. Okay, do you want to know what I came up with? I do. Not that. Coquettish girl, hesitant boy, missed kiss. What's a coquettish girl? A flirtatious girl. A girl who's like flirty. Okay, so read it again to me so I can picture. Coquettish girl. Like flirty girl. I don't want to use flirty. No, just use your words now that I know what it means. Coquettish is a fitzy word. Okay. Coquettish girl, hesitant boy, missed kiss. I love that. Thank you. I mean, you are a wordsmith, just like (laughs) Fitzgerald. But I actually, I loved that summary. The sixer summary. I want to read on. (laughs) Well, good. Ah, what about Crazy Sunday? Oh, this one was so hard for me. Mm. Okay, but I finally came up with Hollywood Games, Betrayed Wife, Joel Played. Ooh, that, that, that's really good. That's really good. That so fits the summary. <laughs> Look at your sweating. <laughs> no, it's hard. Oh it was hard. Have some Jello. <laughs> no. <laughs> now say it again. Say it again. Let me, I just want to close my eyes and, and listen to you say it again. <laughs> Stop. I mean, I'm serious. You want to hear it one more time? I want to hear it one more time. Hollywood Games, Betrayed, Wife, Joel, Played. Three words. Hollywood, Betrayed, Played. 
I flippin' love it. Ah, I feel like validation. Oh my gosh. I want to hear yours. So that's why I like you to read it a couple times to me because I hear it once. I think, okay, that's catchy. And then I got to close my eyes and just and pick s- out, suck it in. Well, you are a rereader. I am. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a huge rereader. I want to hear yours. Okay. Is it going to be like babes in the woods? You're going to take me down some path. Well, it, it's clean, cleaner, cleaner. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. 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 So mine is Joel Foolery should have drunk the tea. You know, on Sundays because he doesn't, because Sundays is his day. See, Joel Foolery should have drunk the tea. That is so perfect. It's brilliant. It actually, it is brilliant. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what he should have stuck to. Poor Joel. Ugh. Why weren't you there to help him? Look, I can give you a summary. <laughs> Maybe there was booze in the tea. Do you think? Maybe. Well, I mean, who's handing him the drinks? Mm. Stella. <sighs> we had some different ways of looking at these, we didn't we? Did. Even in the summer. So fun. Fun, 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 and fun. Yes. Well, you didn't seem to mind those yes, we did. Aperol spritz. Don't say that. We did mind shots. them. Shots. We did mind them. We didn't even well, want I mean, them. You've, you've dipped into both of them. Did you think one was going to taste better than the other? Um... I think you ate the the stuff on the top. <laughs> that tasted better. You made it look like you ate them. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think I would rather try other things by Lulu for lemons, um, just because I didn't like this. Some well, other her page was beautiful. Like, um, what did you think of it? Well, I mean, I am still partial to an actual Aperol spritz. Yes. I love Aperol spritzes. They're so Italian. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, it looks like a very sweet orange drink. And but it's, it's not. not. It's not. You know, that makes me think, because she did give some options to add. I wonder if maybe as a jello shot, if we'd added sugar, because of our right. dessert, like, we or the lemon liked- lime soda yeah. instead of the San Pellegrino lemonade. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can try that in the next one. Or if somebody tries it and they add that instead. Oh, let us gosh, know. I would love. Let us know. Let yeah. us know, guys. Um, I think that's a wrap. Oh, I think so. I think we we probably have more things to discuss, but... We beat a dead horse today. <laughs> Anyways, did. guys, join us in two weeks for two short stories by Tennessee Williams. He wrote shorts, guys. Yeah. Uh, the Vengeance of Nitocris and The Resemblance Between a Violin Case and a Coffin, which we will pair with a Peach Bellini Jello Shot. Cheers! Oh, let me try this one more time. It's warm and it's almost... Yuck. I can't do it. Let's go make an Aperol spritz. I've got the stuff in the kitchen. Let's. Let's. Bye, guys. Thanks again for joining us for an episode of Prosecco and Prose. To view the complete show notes for today's episode, visit www.proseccoandprose.com and follow the link to Buzzsprout. Please follow or subscribe. It's free wherever you listen, and you'll be the first to know when new episodes drop. You can even show your support by rating and leaving us a review, which helps other lit lovers discover our show. Feel free to connect with us on our website or any of our social media. I'm Wendy. And I'm Amy, signing off as our bottle of bubbly is now empty. See you for the next episode, and in the meantime, pop a cork and read. read.